everyone. Thank you for joining us again. We are on episode 41. Um, maybe by the time you'll hear this, it'll be right at the top of 2019 or maybe right before. I'm not sure. But anyway, thank you for joining us through this hectic holidays. Um, I have a very special episode this evening. Um, you know, I'm sure all of you know who've listened to previous episodes know that my biggest passion is black women in string sports and our mental health. So I have the exciting opportunity to combine both of those subjects tonight. Um, I have the distinct pleasure of talking to Natalie Graves. Um, she is someone that I first heard on the Black, the Therapy for Black Girls podcast with Dr. Joy. Shout out, Dr. Joy. Hey, girl. Um, and so once I heard her, I knew I had to get her on the podcast so you all could find out more about her too. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell our listeners who she is and what she does. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Bree. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm excited. I am too. Let me just say thank you so much for having me on. This is a really an honor and a privilege to speak to your audience. So thank you so very much. Well, thank you for taking the time out on this rainy Saturday to do so. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, let me just tell you a little bit about myself um, for your audience who is not familiar with me. Uh, my name is Natalie Graves. I am the owner and sole operator of Natalie Graves Athletic Counseling. Uh, it's my private practice where I specialize in working with athletes and coaches as it relates to their mental health and performance. And it's actually just a major passion of mine to work with folks in the sports community as it relates to their wellness, right? So when we think about athletes, most of the time, we think about the physical part of it. And that is a big part of, of who athletes are, but obviously there's another part. It's their performance level, and more importantly, in my view, is their mental health. And so um, I specialize in working with athletes who may be having a struggle with performance or maybe just having um, everyday struggles like we all do as it relates to clinical depression or anxiety or substance abuse or those sort of things. So I work with all of those things, and it's something I absolutely love to do. Well, that is fantastic. And like I said, I was completely fascinated when I heard you talk about this because it's such, it, you know, it's interesting because like you mentioned, you know, we talk about athletes and their conditioning coaches and offensive coaches and defensive coaches and tra and all of these things. And some of the things that, you know, are sort of so basic are missing. Like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're one of few who specialize in what you do, but I would think that why wouldn't every professional team have someone who does something that you do or even on the high school level or the college level? And, you know, I just I don't know that it's it's as prevalent as it needs to be, but it's so necessary. So it was like an aha moment, like, why don't we have more of these people? Um, so I was really glad to, to find out what it is that you do. Um, is there a difference in the type of approach that you take with respect to athletic counseling as opposed to sort of maybe a more mainstream population? Absolutely. That, that's really a great question. So like when we think about anything related to an athlete and um, <clears throat> uh, mental health, we generally speak, we think of sports psychology mm -hmm. and sports psychology is dealing with the performance. Right. And I do that. That's an important part of what an athlete needs to reach that next level to be successful in their sport or having a competition. But where sports social work and what I do um, goes further, it's looking at the athlete 
um, as a person in their environment. And in this case, their environment is their sport. And so what, what I do that is a little bit more unique um, not only do we look at performance and visualization and, and imaging to help um, um, you to be successful, let's just say, uh, in a particular competition coming up, mm-hmm. but if you're having issues around anxiety, mm-hmm. if you're having issues, relationship issues, if you're having some mood changes, that no doubt affects your performance. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when we approach the athlete in a way of as the performer and looking at their mental health, you get a more comprehensive treatment as it relates to their wellness. And I think that's where it's a big difference. Right. Right. Um, do you work only with professional athletes or do you sort of see a mix in your practice? So it is a mix. I um my I have seen as young as like little leaguers. Oh, okay. Um I yeah, I have someone I have a twelve year old uh softball player on my caseload right now. Mm-hmm. Um and then it varies to high school I'll get some college. A lot of times the college will be athletes that I had already worked with in high school and they come back or we'll work throughout the year together. And then all the way up to, believe it or not, Brie, to retired athletes. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that makes perfect sense, though, because, you know, just like any other kind of transition, I imagine going from being a professional athlete to a retired athlete is a huge transition in a lot of ways. So I can totally see why that would be critical to kind of, you know, helping them make that move. It, it is really critical. It, you know, once you stop playing a sport or you stop performing or you uh, discontinue competitions, a lot of times what I'll find is there's a loss of identity. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. really trying to figure out who am I now? And, and the second thing that I um, see quite a bit of is chronic pain, right? Mm. So after all of the performing, all of the training, if there were injuries, concussions, whatever, and what we know is that chronic pain can contribute to clinical depression. Yes. So we really have to, um, when I'm working with retired Athletes, for whatever reason, maybe they aged out or maybe they had a career ending injury or what, whatever. Mm-hmm. We, we do a lot of work around identity, management of pain. And when I say management of pain, and I'm not referring to as a medical doctor, right. I mean emotionally yes. and behaviorally. Yes. And there's a lot of work that has to go around that. And, and so when we see those type of athletes, they have a very specific, unique need, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, are there specific uh services that you offer in your practice is it you know mainly talk therapy or are there other things that you do like what sorts of things modalities do you use when you we work with athletes absolutely so definitely you know person to person in the office face to face i do that the traditional you come to my office mm-hmm. um and i see you i also do phone sessions i also mm-hmm. do um what we call telehealth okay. where it's a virtual um, therapy and and I'm gonna tell you, Bree. I adopted um, the idea of doing telehealth very early on. A lot of therapists are starting to do it now, but because right. of my population, 
athletes travel. Right. Their I was going to ask you, you're, you're, you're um, located in Chicago, correct? Yes, yes. But you I'm have clients other places. I do. And oh, so okay. the clients that are in other places, we do more of a coaching relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and we're able to tailor a lot of goals and, and um, expectations and things like that. And so we're, I'm able to have that that um, that situation where I have some athletes that I see face to face or mm-hmm. phone and virtual, and then I have some I've worked with someone out of the country, oh, wow. and okay. and so we do a lot of coaching around around that. Mm-hmm. So it's really a it's fortunate for me because I'm able to to touch a lot of athletes who need the help, mm-hmm. and not in one traditional way. So for me, that's really that keeps it spicy and exciting, right. and and it and it allows me to to meet the needs of the athletes because as we know. Um, there's always a tournament or travel exactly. or, you know, um, fall ball or travel mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, but the work doesn't stop because right. they're traveling or what have you. And so I've really, really started my practice with understanding that I had to be very flexible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of your practice, are there specific um, issues slash challenges that you focus on, or is it really run the full gamut? You mentioned depression, you mentioned anxiety. Are there other um, types of issues that you sort of hone in on, or is it kind of a garden variety? It's a garden variety, but w- one of the, the things that I see a lot um, is building confidence mm-hmm. and managing the stress. Mm. So so what, what I'll see a lot of is I'll hear from a parent or a coach you know, he or she is really talented, but we really need them to be more assertive or more aggressive. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe on one side of the ball, you know, on defense, they're great. But w- when we're when we're needing him or her to do something on offensive end, there's really a struggle. Or mm-hmm. I may hear, you know, he or she is an all around great Bass, uh, excuse me, baseball or softball player, but we are really having issues when there are certain points in the game he or she is striking out. Mm. And so, so with those type of um, presenting issues, definitely I'm narrowing it down very specifically to that particular athlete. Mm-hmm. But, but generally speaking, you know, I do see a high level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Now that anxiety could be what, what we call, what therapists call just general anxiety. You know, right. that's, the, that's the, the, the clinical definition. Right. But there's also a playing anxiety, a performance mm-hmm. anxiety that mm-hmm. I find that athletes have. And so sometimes it's a situation where I I call it, you know, sometimes you just dealt the anxiety card. You know, that's just what happened. That's who you are. And so, okay, that's fine. We figure out how to manage it. And then some people, they don't have just general anxiety, but in situations in in competition, something happens. And Mm -hmm. so whether it's your general anxiety or whether it's specific to performance, we address that. Awesome. Awesome. Um, And do you, you know, sort of also look at like, let's say, you know, someone, you know, has a substance abuse problem or someone is, you know, dealt with um, abuse issues or any of those things as it, do you also sometimes delve into that as it relates to their performance or their, um, their career or what have you? Absolutely. And, and um, when an athlete comes to see me, um, I actually created what is a uh, mental health sports 
athletic assessment. So, so generally when you come to a therapist, you're going to do some sort of, um, uh, assessment, whether, so, so you're capturing the social, the bio, Mm -hmm. you know, all of that. So we do that here in my office, but we, I also added a component because you, you know, athletes are unique. Right. And so, you know, in the, in the, uh, intake assessment that we go through and this is something is done in office this is not something I you know I email right. we do this face to face and some of the questions are geared around injury it's geared around uh, substance abuse it's geared around um, uh, medication right. and what we're doing is we're trying to capture a picture not just the person right mm-hmm. but now very specifically as the the uh, athlete. So if you're in a sport or um, your team is such that where after every win, um, they go to the local bar. That's just socially just how it's done. So we talk about that and we talk about the relationship with you and your team and your team and alcohol and how does Mm. that relate to you. Mm -hmm. We talk about, you know, if you've had um, an array of injuries mm-hmm. and you've had to been prescribed a, quite a bit of medication. We talk right. about, you know, first off, we talk about what you've been prescribed. We talk about how is it working? How okay. does it affect you and your relationship with that medication? And so what are we doing there? We're starting to identify and screen screen if there are some problematic things that may be creeping up in an athlete's life. Let's look at that. Let's screen for mm-hmm. it. And then let's begin to talk and treat it. Get in front of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm very open with the athletes I work with. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, uh, the, the use of cannabis, use of mm-hmm. marijuana. And and we have to be very honest, you know, in today where the um, the feelings in, in society has changed as it relates to marijuana. Right. Some people, you know, have grown up and this is part of their culture right. and that kind of thing. And so I address that really openly and honestly. Mm-hmm. And how I relate it, it's not from a judgment perspective. It's strictly on how do how do the choices you make affect your performance? Right. It's that simple. Right. And so, you know, if if you're telling me you're making a certain choice and you're in season, mm. is that benefiting you or is that harming you? Right. And so we have those kind of discussions and we're really honest about that because at the end of the day, an athlete wants to succeed. And so we have right. to look at all aspects of their life to see if everything's in place so they can do their very best. Right, right. That's super important. So what got you interested in this specific um, area of counseling and therapy? Well, it's a story. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you know, I and I, I love to tell it. Um, mm-hmm. I tell it, I, I talk about it all the time, particularly like when I'm doing like workshops or, right. you know, things like, like your show. So I, I, I grew up in Chicago, still mm-hmm. here, born and wet, raised. Okay. And I grew up in a family that um, really loves sports. Mm-hmm. So my dad... Um, uh, I'm, I'm six years older than my brother. So uh-huh. for a while, you know, I was the, the only kid and I was a girl and my dad taught me the game. Ah, okay. So 
um, you know, just to give you an idea of like Sunday afternoon, just imagining my dad, my mom, my brother and I in the back seat, and we're rushing home from church so we can catch the Bears game, right? <laughs> yeah. So so we're literally rushing to get home mm-hmm. and we're rushing to change our clothes mm-hmm. so that we can sit in front of the TV to watch the Bears. Mm-hmm. Wow. And this was this was kind of, this is how I grew up. Uh-huh. And same thing with basketball with with the Chicago Bulls. And so what happened? I I grew up in a family of fans. I wasn't mm-hmm. really an athlete per se. I did oh. try out for some teams in high school, but you know, didn't really stick with that. But I was always a fanatical fan, right? Okay. Okay. So so that was my deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, as I was growing up, for, for whatever reason, people just loved to talk to me. They mm-hmm. just loved to tell me things or share things with me. So I developed this love for helping people. Okay. So, you know, here I am. I'm this girl who loves sports and I'm this girl who loves to help people. So that's kind of where it was. And as I progressed in my, my college education, mm-hmm. my eye as a fan changed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it became more clinical. And I started asking questions about the athletes I was watching. I was, mm-hmm. my initial question was, well, they make all of this money. Why are they having so many problems? Mm-hmm. That was my first thought mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. something else needs, is something's going on here. I'm missing right, something. Right, right, And And as I progressed in my career, I just really started to see that there's not enough support for athletes. Absolutely. And um, at that time, there were no schools. There was no one I knew that was Mm -hmm. doing anything like this. And I just decided to carve my own path. Create it. I just created a space for myself. And it was something, it was so easy for me to conceive it and to to conceptualize it because it was a passion. I love sports. I loved helping people. So how do I make this happen? And so, you know, I would start a little bit here. I would write a blog here. I would Mm -hmm. speak somewhere over there. And I just started building a a brand for myself. And, you know, five, seven years later, here I am. I'm talking to you, Bree. (laughs) And so in terms of your training, were you able to find any classes or find any sort of, you know, throughout your programs that sort of spoke to sports psychology or anything like that? Or, I mean, was it literally just on the job training? It was literally on the job training. So my undergrad, um, I, I, I have a, so, um, a sociology degree and then mm-hmm. I have a master's of social work. And so those classes had nothing to do with sports psychology. Right or um, any type of performance. I mean, now today we have a sports social work text that just came out. But you know, when I was doing my journey, there was nothing. So really, you know what I did, Brie? I decided, okay, if I was an athlete, what what would I need? Mm -hmm. What do Mm -hmm. I need? So I wanted to become the specialist of athletes. So whatever I thought they needed, I wanted to become that. And so with that same thought process, I thought to myself, I had my master's, yeah. I had my license at that point, and I said, you know what, it might be a good idea if I get certified in addictions. Mm. You know, you know, I've never had a history, I've never worked in that right. population, but it might be a good idea just in case that comes right. up when I'm trying to build my practice. And so I went back and uh, became a certified drug and alcohol counselor. Mm-hmm. And it was just about being a specialist in this population. Right. 
And so I really just kind of based on um, the little bit of literature that was out there, a couple folks that were doing something similar to what I was doing. Yeah. And I and I just kind of carved it all out. And through my work, I've developed a really core curriculum. I could call it a curriculum, but it's a it's a mode of practice when Mm -hmm. I work with athletes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just it's so amazing. Like I said, I was doing a little bit of research and I'm, you know, I was started sort of looking at like, you know, um, athletes and, and mental health. And then I just like, let me look at, you know, black athletes. And of course, mm-hmm. that was like a wasteland of nothing. I mean, it was literally like Dr. Harry, Harry Edwards and that's you know, right. not much else. Yeah, I grew up in Berkeley. So, you know, I'm, I'm oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, his. yeah. So I mean, so I kind of had a little bit of sense of, of what that looked like because of, of being, you know, in close proximity to, to his work and yes. growing up there. But I mean, other than that, and then I was like, and now there's a woman doing so like i said you are you know you're 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 out here trailblazing which is which is absolutely fantastic and i look at the way that you know sports have sort of progressed nowadays and it's like it is really needed i mean you know i i think one of the game changers for me was reading um what was it uh was it million three million dollar slave mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know my husband's a big sports fan so i you know oh, I read yes. that and you know just watching the 30 for 30s on esp like it was yeah. really like whoa this is this is something it, it's, <laughs> it's know, major so it's major i'm just i'm glad that there you know that there's now this exposure to you know to to this need you know and, and it starts with one person right so you know, who knows? We, you may be, you know, consulting with some NFL teams or, hey. or something. I listen, I'm going I'm, I'm to claim it for you. <laughs> yeah, um. I'm, I'm open for it, you know. And, and, and it's important, I'll tell you, um, there's still so much stigma around mental health and, and, yes. and getting therapy, you yes. know, actually getting help. And so one of the things that I really, any time that I can, you know, I like to talk about breaking the stigma around yes mental health and mental illness and medication and getting Mm -hmm. help Mm -hmm. and and as we're seeing more and more athletes just speaking out yeah i struggle with this i struggle with that it is helping to normalize what folks go through all the time yeah and then i think when you when you say you have someone who you know um, as an athlete and they're sort of, you know, people perceive athletes to have a certain sort of personality or have a yes. sort of like they're, you know, they're unbreakable, they're unstoppable, they're machines, they're this, they're that. And then you put on top of that being black, yes. you know, and, and yes. how taboo talking about mental health is in our community and so yes. much pressure on some of these athletes in terms of, you know, succeeding and, you know, sort of being able to help other people and all this other stuff. It's like, it's, you know, it's insane. I mean, it's, it's a lot to deal with. Um, it is a lot so, to deal with. so, you know, one of the things, again, you know, one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you was because, like I mentioned, you know, a lot of, um, you know, a lot more black women in particular are sort of looking at ways to, to improve their health, become fit and become strong, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, you know, I want to have a six pack or I want to, you know, look a certain way. They're starting to look more at what their bodies can do versus what their bodies look like, which is amazing. But I think we also deal with the issues of, you know, number one, again, you know, sometimes we're the only right in this particular sport. Um, A lot of the sports that, you know, I mentioned to you, just like a lot of major sports, the faces are very white, very thin, very sort of, you know, look one way. Um, And so we don't see ourselves. Right. And so I think, 
a lot of us get discouraged and it does kind of start to weigh on our mental health. You know, we're trying to do this thing. We're trying to carve this path. We're trying to make it happen. We're trying to be healthy, but there just seem to be so many barriers for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I wanted to start with, to see with, you know, sort of given your population and just sort of what you see happening, you know, as a whole in society, what are some of the issues that black female athletes face today? Absolutely. And I, I absolutely hit this head on, um, particularly uh, the athletes that are, I see that are in sports mm-hmm. like a golfing or right. an ice skating right. or something like that. So we, we just have to be I'm, 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 a, I'm a very um, real, real person when it relates mm-hmm. to to treatment. We just have to deal with the stuff that's in the room. Right. Right. Yes. And and when we're talking about being the only one in your sport. Um, it would be naive to think that that does not have an effect on a person, how they perform and their mental health. And so Mm -hmm. part of the work that we have to do is first identify and acknowledge that. First, we have to say it's okay that you feel uncomfortable. Let's just start there, Mm -hmm. right? And then we have to figure out how do we manage and cope Mm -hmm. so that we can succeed, so we can perform. So some of it is I do a lot of work around we don't compare. We don't compare. So your journey is your journey. Right. Your path is your path. And when we look to the left or we look to the right, we're not looking forward. Right. So when we're looking at, well, she has done this or she looks this way or he has gotten this accolade and I've done the same thing and I didn't get it. We're not focused on what we need to do. Right. right. So so that's an approach that I take. I also am very big on normalizing bodies. Mm-hmm. This is so important, Bree, that we own who we are yes. and not be ashamed of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, we could probably do an entire episode on how black women's bodies have experienced Ugh. thus and so, right? I mean, so we already Serena this year it, has been trash. Yes, <laughs> yes, right. And I was at the U.S. Open last this mm. this past year too. So absolutely right. You know. Right. So we 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 know the history around that. Mm-hmm. But this is the thing that I want to empower to your listeners, to any athlete, particularly female athletes that I come in contact with. No one defines who we are. Mm-hmm. No one defines how our body should look how we should look as it relates to our hair, how our muscles form, any of it. We say that. Right. And so anything contrary to that is nonsense. It's just air. Mm -hmm. And so the work that I like to do with my athletes is really empower them to remember what we're focused on, what our task is, what is the goal this week, this tournament, this competition, and it's Mm -hmm. certainly not worrying about if someone thinks your butt's too big. Right. Right? Right, absolutely. But we have to develop that, Brie. That's not something that is always just natural for us, especially when we don't see someone that looks like us in the room also. So you can't help it. To feel maybe a little doubt or no one looks like me. So is it something wrong with me? So I don't have a problem with the thoughts that happen around that. Yeah. My job is to give a contradictory perspective and to have you embrace that positivity to allow you to perform. 
So how do you start, or, and I get this question a lot, you know, because again, we talk a lot about loving yourself and yes. not comparing yourself to others and, you know, you know, the whole social media thing and sometimes it's a trap and all that other yes. stuff. Yes. How, do you, how do you go about turning that switch off in your head when you start yes. having those conversations, when that negative voice comes up and goes, girl, you know, you are too big to have them shorts on, or mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to bench press this or this, that, and the third, and you don't look like this girl over here. So you're never going to get, you know, um, you know, a sponsorship, whatever mm-hmm. the case may be. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you literally say, stop it? Right. So the first thing is we have to recognize it's happening. Sometimes, mm-hmm. most times, Bree, this is on automatic pilot. Mm-hmm. It's just going. It's just right. going. The thoughts happen. The thoughts happen. And after the thoughts happen, then comes the belief. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So first we have to actually kind of boil it down and say, I actually say scale to one to ten. Give me an idea. One being low, ten being high. What type of athlete are you? Right. Mm -hmm. That's very telling on what you think about yourself. Number one. Number Mm -hmm. two, what would your coach say about you? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would your teammates say about you? So if I have if I am a starter or I've placed in in top five in most of my competitions, is it valid for me to say I'm not good? What is that Mm -hmm. based on? Right. Right. So so it's actually understanding that I am giving myself negative talk. I am feeding myself and it's automatic. I don't even sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing it. And so we we slow that thinking down. We recognize that and then we give it a contradictory thought. Okay. Right. I'm, some of this comes from fear. So, okay, I'm a little worried about this competition. I know the reputation of this 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 uh, competitor, this bodybuilder over here. I'm worried about how I'm going to perform. I tell them in that moment, okay, now what's the contradictory thought? Mm-hmm. The contradictory thought is I've trained, I'm prepared, I'm going to do my best. And you can't control if what you can. Does. <laughs> there you go. There you go. We get so worried about who's on the left and who's on the right of us. We forget that we have skill sets. We have trained. We are ha- have talent. And we're prepared for the moment. So you have to start off really, really small with just the beginning thoughts in your mind that are that are negative. Mm-hmm. And and if somebody just says, "Oh, well, just don't think like that," no, 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 it's a process. Not how it works, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't that work easy. that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's great advice. But we identify it. We give a counter thought, mm-hmm. and we hold ourselves accountable of not looking at what other people are doing or buying into maybe some negativity that someone else is putting on us. It's a lot of work. Don't get me right. wrong, Bri. I'm not pretending like, yeah. you know, it's you blink your eyes and everything's right. perfect. However, if you are committed to the process of believing in self, mm-hmm. believing that your performance can be at the level that that is possible for you, believing that and trusting your training once you have that and we put that mental toughness to it many of the athletes if i'm not I, I'm, I'm gonna go as bold and say most of the athletes i work with we can get to a place mm-hmm. where some of that noise is much more dimmer it's mm. lower and it doesn't have as strong as impact right as it used to but it takes time i'm not going to yeah. pretend that you have to do the work Gotta just like you I, I tell i tell the people i work with or if I'm doing a talk or or something like that, 
just like you're committed to your physical training, the elite athletes, and I'm talking elite from from little league all the way up, mm-hmm. the elite mm-hmm. athletes, they know how to do the mental training. Yes, absolutely. And when you're able to do that, you put yourself in the best position. Absolutely. Um, one of the other things I wanted to touch on too is because I, you know, it's such a double-edged sword. Like I feel like, again, social media has done an amazing job of allowing us the opportunity to, you know, give voice to, you know, the women that are doing these sports that, you know, right. that, that I'm interested in and that we're interested in, you know, allowing little girls to log on and see our Instagram and go, wow, there's a black girl that's an yes. weightlifter, right? But the flip side of that coin is all the ugliness. So yeah. you have the comparison, right? You have the people that are not genuine and they're showing you a very curated, edited view of what it is that they do right yeah they're not telling you that the reason that they weigh 120 pounds and have a 500 pound deadlift is because they're using performance enhancement yes they're yes. not telling you that the reason that they're lean all year long is that they have an eating disorder right they're mm-hmm. not telling you you know all of these things and so you're looking at this and saying well i'm following this plan this coach sold me or i'm you know i'm have the same statistics as this person I can't do what she's doing. Something is wrong with me. So how do you balance or how, how can we balance? And again, you know, obviously again with, you know, throwing in the level of, you know, not seeing a whole lot of black folks, seeing a lot of white folks do this stuff. How do we balance between using social media as a tool to kind of help us become better at what we do and find inspiration and not allowing it to swallow us whole and make us feel less than? It's exactly what you said, Bree. Like we we have to actually have conversations around social media, which mm-hmm. surprisingly we don't. Mm, not at you all. You know, you know what we talk about with social media. You shouldn't have posted that, right? Or right. this was caught on film. Everyone take a look, right? But but this is what I would say, um, and the, this is what I do because social media comes up a lot in my sessions in a, in a lot of different ways but mm-hmm. specifically to your question as it relates to comparison and maybe didn't getting discouraged because one looks one way and you look another mm-hmm. we have to have the conversations about first off we don't know the legitimacy of this post right no one posts their worst self right no one posts, you know, when you have that bloated day mm-hmm. or that, you know, you didn't do your workout well day. Those never get posted, but guess what? They happen, of right? Course. So we have to have these conversations about really being realistic about social media. Everyone is posting the best story, the best case scenario, the best picture and the best lighting. Mm-hmm. But that's not real life. Now, is it awesome to see, you know, oh, man, she's doing the same thing that I'm doing and she's actually not that far from me. I would like to connect. That's perfect. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's what that's the best of social media. Right. But we do have to be careful and we have to educate our our young athletes on not getting caught up in the hype Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's selling a false story. Yes. You know, I I saw something on Facebook the other day and it says it is true that the grass is greener on the other side, but green is grass is not always green. If it's always green, it's fake. It's turf. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Put that on a shirt. (laughs) Right. Right. And so (laughs) So I was and and it is so true. And so what I took from that is that, you know, it, it looks like it always on the other side, it always looks like it's so much better. 
But no one is always green. No one is always in their best lighting. No one is always, you know, perfectly in their light and they've done it all correctly. It's just not true. So for us to buy into this false premise and then put it on ourselves to say it is something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. The premise is already faulty because we're looking at something that is not real. So so what I like to do is is, you know, because, you know, everyone brings their phones in their sessions and they'll say, you know, I I want to. Can I show you this? I'm like, yeah, sure. Show me. Right. Right. And and we actually in real time, Brie, we have the conversations and it's not that I'm trying to hate on someone else or throw shade on someone. It's not about that, but it's actually about empowering Mm -hmm. the person looking at this and saying, yeah, that's great, but we don't know what her circumstances are. We don't know what's going on with that. Now, what are your goals Mm -hmm. and what do you want to do? It always goes back to the individual. Right, right. So, so, yeah, so when you ask me directly, you know, as it relates to, you know, weight or you know fitness in the comparison Mm -hmm. that's really how i deal with it in real time Mm -hmm. and i also kind of shape it into once again valuing self right so if we if we're so upset about how so and so looks on 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 the instagram that that they posted today and we're so bothered by that we need to do work on you feeling your best right and when right. you're feeling your best, you're not worried not about worried that. About Absolutely. But it is a process, no doubt. Absolutely. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to touch on, um, so the sports that I mentioned to you, I don't know you know, how much you know about them, but mm-hmm. they're not, like I said, they're not necessarily based on looks. Like I was a bodybuilder for a really long time and that was completely aesthetic. And so okay. I'm thinking, okay, you know, once I transition out of the set, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to think about what my body can do. I'm going to get into okay. powerlifting, you know, just lift heavy weight and eat all kinds of stuff and it's going to be great. I forgot that their body, their uh, weight class sports. Yes. So, you know, you're looking at, okay, well, what weight class do I fit into? Um, And most people either are like, okay, well, I weigh this much. I'm in this weight class. It is what it is. There are other people that look at it like, well, I want to be in this weight class because if I'm in this weight class and I'm, you know, strong, but I'm smaller, I'm going to be more competitive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you start looking at that and I'm starting to notice this trend of a lot of people with disordered eating, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because you, you know, if you train at a certain weight and then you decide to, you know, go down a weight class, that means that you're going to have to cut weight. And sometimes the people do really strange things to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Or they're Mm -hmm. very focused on, you know, all of those types of things, you know, their macros and what they're eating and how they're eating and carbs and da, 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 da. So, do you see that type of thing in your practice as it relates to black women or, you know, women in general, but particularly black women? And what are some of the things around that that you do to maybe sort of either if you see them heading in that path to redirect right. them or if they're already on that path to kind of help them reframe sort of that, what that looks like? It's a real balancing act because and, and I've talked about this before, how like some sports can actually create an eating disorder. Right. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. just the makeup of the sport, just like you talked about, like dropping weight or right. having, you know, wanting to gain to be in a different class. I see this a right. lot with wrestlers in particular. Mm-hmm. And Gymnas. so, yeah, gymnasts, <laughs> mm-hmm, ice skaters, mm-hmm. big yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cheerleaders and and, yes. and I will fight you. Cheerleading is a sport. It's a sport. Those it's are a sport. I will I will come for you. You don't have to fight me, girl. Listen, I am one hundred percent. I believe it. That is a serious sport. It is. It is. But but you know. So I do see some of this, and mm-hmm. 
it is really hard because you're getting messages from the coach you're getting messages from your teammates. You're getting messages from, you know, if you need to classify in, in this category or the next. Right. So it has to be, from my perspective, it has to be handled really carefully. So I always come from, from the premise of how healthy are you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at, um, we're talking your calorie count is like 500 for the week if we're talking about, you know, you're only drinking, you know, protein shakes for the next three months. Right. If we're talking about, you know, some of these fad type of things so that you can drop or in some cases so you can put on. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, then we have to have some serious conversations about um, how healthy are you? as far as making some of these choices and realistically, how is this going to benefit your performance long-term? Right, right. So so again, it's really having the serious conversations. And when we see that we're in a level of major concern, we do have to, we have to address that and we have to refer that. Because if we're at a point where, um, you know, we're binging or we're mm-hmm. starving ourselves. Um, you know, there, there is, I, I, I can kind of, I can kind of buy into some explanations because mm-hmm. there's a meet coming up, you know, I just right. need to drop these two pounds and, right. you know, I'm, right. I, I can kind of, I can kind of go there and not lose too much sleep about it. But right. when I hear you, this is your lifestyle. Right. We have a serious concern and we have to address it. And, and I will tell you, Bree. Um, it's, it's, it's an addiction just like alcoholism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it has to be treated in the same way. Right. And, and, and it's very difficult because athletes who resort to these sort of choices, generally speaking, are in a sport that they're feeling under pressure that they have to do that. So right. really, if we think macro now, you know, some of the sports have to change. Right. Right. A few few years ago, I was I was um, speaking at a conference, and I was it was a break, and I was a part of a conversation, and one of the one of the um, uh, one of the people I was speaking with said, "Yeah, you know, in my town, um, um, the wrestlers that are like seven, eight years old, they make them drop weight," and I was horrified. Excuse me, I was horrified. And I and I I paused and I and I said, "How old?" <laughs> You're like, "Did I hear you correctly?" Did I? Maybe I missed. <laughs> right. And and so so this is and that's my point. So on a macro level, when we're talking about these organizations, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, um, we need to begin to think about how we are impacting our young athletes who are seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen—all very young. That's crazy. And so, you know, we as as mental health professionals can do what we can do. Bree, you and I having these conversations, bringing awareness, talking about this, normalizing it, that makes right. a difference. But we would be uh, naive and irresponsible of me not to say that organizations such as uh, universities and yep. and um, sporting um, governing bodies yeah. and that sort of thing, that, that they do have to look at things in a different way if we're serious about keeping our athletes safe, not just physically, but mentally as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that comes up a lot with a lot of the folks that, you know, listen to the podcast and, and sort of participate in conversations on our 
pages is um, competition anxiety. I know you touched yes. on that a little bit. And, you know, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out, again, how do you make the distinction or how do you, how do you know when your pre-competition jitters have um, gone on the other end of the continuum? Mm-hmm. Where, like, you're so mm-hmm. paralyzed, you can barely function or you're like hysterical or you just can't even like get yourself together enough to, to go ahead right. and, and perform, you know, at a meet. How, what are some signs that it's not just normal butterflies and it's right. something more and what can you do about that? Absolutely. So, so when we're talking about kind of our the the butterflies as you call it, you know, that's that um, heightened sense of you know, right. I, I'm 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 ready. You know, my stomach's going. You know, right, I'm a little antsy, right. but I'm ready to go. Right. You know, that means I care. That means I'm dialed in. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the and it's an exciting experience. And I'm and you know, I I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm ready for it. Right. When we're talking about. Um, uh, performance stress and and performance anxiety. We're talking about almost a panic, mm-hmm. a dread. Yeah, um, where we are shutting down, where we are maybe we're shaking, maybe we're we're perspiring, maybe our heart is pounding so hard where sometimes it's hard for us to catch our breath. Right. 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 So now when we're talking about things like that, we're moving into an area of this is a little bit more than just the butterfly mm-hmm. pregame jitter, jitters. Mm-hmm. Now, those things that I described, they sound horrifying. Right. However, they're not. They're mm-hmm. symptoms that can be managed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a couple things. So first we have to kind of recognize and what I like to do, I actually do an inventory. When we know that um, there's anxiety symptoms or there's some type of performance issues happening, so we actually go down and do a checklist of, you know, mm-hmm. is it is it shaking? Is it, you know, uh, breathing heavily? Is it just racing thoughts? You know, are you able to um, focus? You know, so we go through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and obviously for the record and to make myself clear, this is not during a game, this right. is not, this is okay. So this is the work that we do together. Mm-hmm. So so we identify what are causing some of the symptoms. Is mm-hmm. it when you know you're a starting pitcher? Is it when you know you, you have a competition this week? And so the week before, all of a sudden, you're just right. not feeling yourself. You're out of sorts. You're a little mm-hmm. bit more nervous. You know, your coordination is off. You're breathing heavily. You're more fatigued. So we identify, okay, well, well, first, we know why some of these symptoms are happening because you have a competition Tuesday. Right, right. Right. And today's Saturday. Right. <laughs> so so we understand that. Right. Mm-hmm. So so then we, we normalize that we identify that and then we put some things in place. So a couple things that I like to do with um, my athletes, whether you're struggling with um, any type of anxiety symptoms or not. I like to do um, some some developing of your mental game. So mm-hmm. I like to develop a pregame. So, so what's a, what's a pregame? Mm-hmm. So, regardless of your sport, there are things that you do before you perform or before you play. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I hear people say, "I play music." Okay, that's great. Right. If that's your thing, you know, and that gets you in the place, amps you up, or calms mm-hmm. you down. Hey, do it. Do not right. stop doing that. So, my next question is, okay, but what do you do mentally? Mm. 
No one has yet to tell me they do anything. (laughs) And that's okay, because that's why they see me. And so what we do is we develop a plan before they perform or before they play their game that they do certain things every time. Mm -hmm. So if um, if you're a person who plays music, Part of your routine will be not only do you listen to your music on your phone, you also look at some goals that we develop together. Mm, And so part of the pregame is I listen to my music and then while I'm listening to my music, I go to where Natalie sent me what I'm supposed to focus on. And these are Natalie's goals. These are Mm -hmm. goals that that were determined in our session that would be best. Right. So just doing that, you have focused your mind away from, I'm nervous, you know, I feel jittery. Now you have a task. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I know about athletes, you guys love to have a direction on what to do. Yes. (laughs) And so I provide that. They develop it in the sessions. And so that's just one pregame that you can do to kind of help you get in the mindset to perform. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Another another thing that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier um, is is positive self-talk. I actually explain what that is. And then I give examples of what self-talk should be for that individual, mm-hmm. because, again, mm-hmm. let's think about it when we're dealing with anxiety or nerves or worries. It's not positive. We're telling ourselves the worst things that could happen. It's always right. that way. So we want to introduce to the brain the positive self-talk. So we develop Mm -hmm. a a pre-mental game, a pre-game. We do self-talk. And um, the other thing we do is we actually review past performance Mm -hmm. because education is everything. So we look at past performances and we actually sit down individually and we look at how I did this, how I did that. These are my numbers. Uh Uh-huh. And from that reviewal, we set goals. Awesome. Okay. So if we set goals, if we develop a pregame plan and mm-hmm. we're being positive in our conversation, it sets us up to manage some of those anxiety field feelings. Okay. But you have to buy into it. You really have to buy into it. And then, and I know I'm, I spent a lot of time on this, Bree, but let me just say, And then we also, I introduce levels of mindfulness and meditation, Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. is directly towards focusing and anxiety. Awesome. Awesome. These are, these are really wonderful tips. And I hope, um, and we don't have to sort of get into it now, but if you have any resources for folks in terms of books they could get or, you know, you know, online resources, tape, something to kind of help them develop that routine. Um, I will be happy to put that in the show notes. Um, Yeah, I will definitely pass along. I've I've got a couple, I've got a book and some other things that um, I will be happy to pass along to you. Fantastic. So we've gotten, you know, through our competition anxiety, Mm -hmm. you know, trained for, you know, 12, 15, 20 weeks. We've done it. We knocked it out the ballpark and now it's over. And now we got the blues. (laughs) So again, same question. How do we know when we just sort of have post-competition letdown slash blues and when it's morphing into depression or something more serious? And what do we do about that? Oh, I love that question. Okay. So 
it is always a letdown after mm-hmm. a major competition. You've been training, you know, for all this time. You've done the thing, and now the thing is over. You right. you cannot help but have a letdown. Right. And um, there there are some some moods that are associated with that. That is to mm-hmm. be expected. That is to be normal. Now, when we when we become concerned, is when we're seeing this. Mm-hmm. Your eating has either increased or decreased. Your sleeping has increased or decreased. Your lack of uh, your motivation is now lacking. You're having periods of crying. Maybe you're more mm-hmm. irritable. The things you like to do, you no longer want to do, and this is going on for two weeks. So fourteen days or more, mm-hmm. consistently now. Mm-hmm. Now I am dr- describing the symptoms of clinical depression. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. different from a letdown after the after everything is completed. Right. You are going to have a letdown. You are going to kind of feel a little empty and and you 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 know you're you're mourning your process. You right. know Not you sure know sometimes you you're on this this <laughs> yeah you're on this high because you did so well and mm-hmm. then you come down and sometimes you're you're down because you didn't do as well as you wanted. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all still in in what we consider you know pretty typical type feelings and behaviors. Right. When we're getting outside of that, we are talking about symptoms that are are lasting fourteen days or more. And this mm-hmm. this and it's and there's no clear you know cut way. But when you see yourself isolating, right. when you see yourself struggling with your daily routines, mm-hmm. if you normally eat three times a day and you're eating one meal and you're not finishing that meal, mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. struggling to sleep when you're normally a solid sleeper, right. Or you're sleeping all the time and you just don't have the energy like you once did. The irritability, the struggling with concentration, mm-hmm. not wanting to do things that, that um, used to give you pleasure and joy. Now we're talking about something that is more than just your blues. And we do need to uh, talk to someone about that right. for sure. Right, right. Um so I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, you've got pre-competition, mm-hmm. post-competition, you've been training, you got a meet coming up, you know, you're, you're hyped, you're ready, you go, you know, you get on that, get that heavy bar on your back, you get in, you squat it, heavier weight than you've ever done, and snap, crackle, pop. Mm-hmm. You get injured. Yes. Or, you know, some other health thing has happened and now either you are out of your sport for a while or you're out of it completely. How do you manage that? That is, I mean, you mentioned before, you know, I think with most most athletes, they have a mindset where that's how they define themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it be someone, mm-hmm. you know, who obviously is a pro athlete or like I said, for a lot of us, you know, when we find these passions, this is who we are. Yes. And now that thing that you love to do, you cannot do. You cannot do it. How do you manage that? <laughs> it, it's it's really, really tough. Um, first, from my perspective, first we have to treat it as a trauma. Mm-hmm. So, so let's just kind of, for working definition, what is a trauma? Trauma is something that is, is perceived to be threatening, whether it's experienced to you or you actually witnessed it. Mm-hmm. And with the trauma, um, often happens, uh, something occurs is which is called PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Post mm-hmm. mean after it's stress. And so 
we have to actually, and what I do, I actually treat an injury as it is a trauma because it is for that athlete. Right. Um, there is a lot of fear and there's a lot of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So um, what we have to start with dealing with how, you know, how and where you are physically, but for my purposes, more so um, uh, emotionally mm-hmm. and coming to terms with if, if this is a um, career ending injury, managing that. And that's something that um, it takes time because there's a level of acceptance that has to come. There's grieving that comes with that. There's mm-hmm. a lot of hurt and anger that comes with that. And so we, we, we deal with whatever, whatever you come into the room, as I say, whatever comes in the room, we deal with it. So at that point in time, we're dealing with all those feelings and all those emotions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we're at a place where we can see beyond that, we do the business of identifying who we are now. Mm-hmm. So that might mean um, that I never want to see the sport again. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. That's right. fine. Right. Or more, it may mean I want to support others. I might want to coach. I might want to judge. I might want to. So we figure that out, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it is about the identity. And and going back, as I was talking earlier about the intake process, when you when when you first come see me, I do this evaluation. Right. One of the questions I ask is, what do you do outside of sport? And the reason why I put that question in there is because one day you will not be participating in your activity. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a professional, whether you're an Olympian, whatever. And so at some point we have to figure out who are we now. Right. So that's that's some that is Brie, I will tell you that's probably some of the most difficult work that I have to do. Mm-hmm. Injuries. Um, I actually am working with um, a woman right now who is um, a former bodybuilder, and mm-hmm. she now trains, and she's been diagnosed with a serious illness. Oh no! And so where she transitioned out of. Um, her sport of bodybuilding and, and, and feeling satisfied with that and developed her home thing with training and now life has hit her, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so some of the work that we have to do is managing that right? and coping with that and figuring out, we always say control what we can control. Mm-hmm. Control what we can control. Right. And, and the thing about um, what I love to one of the reasons why I love to work with athletes, you guys are so resilient. Your mental functioning is such that it allows you to be successful if you tap into it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even when those obstacles come, you know, whether it's an ending illness or a a injury or, or whatever happens, you know, it's just the time has come. It is very hard, and I'm not pretending like it, it's an easy thing to deal with. It is difficult. Right. But the, the skills that you have learned within your sport will translate outside of your sport. We just have to figure out how to do it. Right. Right. So there's some serious conversations about um, allowing folks to feel the way they feel as it relates to a career-ending injury. It's... Um, um, supporting that process mm-hmm. and then it's a uh starting a new a new right. beginning for you right. and that sometimes is hard Brie, because we don't want to let go 
Right. Change we don't want to. <laughs> it changes hard, right? But mm-hmm. but that is absolutely the work. And so you know when we get to that point where we're like, okay, all right, the physical pain isn't that bad. Okay, I've accepted. You know, this is my new normal. Mm-hmm. Now what? But that could right. be in a very exciting time. Now what? Right. You know, because right. you you can be whatever you want to be right now. Let's just figure out how mm-hmm. do we do it. You know, so it can be um, once we get through some of the difficult parts, that part of the treatment can be very exciting for folks because they're right. they're 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 um, redefining themselves. And that can mm-hmm. be, you know, um, opening up opportunities that they never thought about. Right. Right. Absolutely. So that actually brings up another um, related point for me that I wanted to ask you about um, and even you know, from a personal perspective. So, you know, one of the things I see a lot of, um, you know, we, you know, people, what's your why, you know, why do you, why Mm -hmm. do you do CrossFit? Why are you, you know, into powerlifting? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? And people list a variety of reasons. And one of the things that all often comes up is, you know, or just, you know, just getting in the gym regularly is training is my therapy, right? Mm -hmm. And, and, Mm -hmm. And at surface, it sounds great. Right. Um, But I started thinking I I often would say that for myself, like there were a lot of, you know, traumas that I've dealt with in my life. And, you know, being able to get in there and get that out in the gym and leave it all on the platform has been really, really helpful for me over the years. But then I started to think, you know, what if this was taken away from me tomorrow? Yeah. What am I going to do then to cope? How do I cope? You know, how do I you know, fix those things or work on those things. So I guess my question to you is, let's say there's someone that's like, there's nothing particularly, you know, sort of going wrong or issues they're having. Um, You know, they're an athlete, they love what they do, you know, it's their therapy, it helps them with their anxiety, helps them with their depression, it helps them with whatever. Mm -hmm. Why would they come to you? Why would someone still want to maybe just see a sports, um, you know, an athlete sports therapist, you know, even if there's no like big issue that they need to work on? Yeah, that that's a great question, and and um, I also I know you did a blog post about this too, so that's why I kind of wanted. Yeah, well. yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I did a blog post, and it's called 13 Reasons Why an Athlete mm-hmm. Should See a Mental Health Sports Therapist," and mm-hmm. um, and obviously, I uh, from the Netflix um, series "13 Reasons Why." Right. Uh, I, I borrowed the title. So, mm-hmm. so what I like to start off. Um, to tell people in general, right? So, mm-hmm. so I'm going to go athlete specific, but let me just go generally for a second. Right. You do not have to have anything terribly wrong to see a therapist. Thank you. Please repeat that. <laughs> <laughs> right. You you really don't. You do right. not have to have a crisis, a trauma, right? For to have a check in with a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so someone will say, well, well, why would I do that? Right. Well, you would do that because just like we go get a checkup with our doctor, just like we do a checkup with our dentist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we we need to, and I'm working as much as I can to emphasize, we need to do that checkup mentally. Yes. And so specifically with athletes, you mm-hmm. know, um, a lot of folks come to me and they're brought, they're, they're, they're not coming voluntarily and some right. people are coming because they, they came across something I wrote or something I posted. And they said, well, maybe I should talk to her. Mm-hmm. So seeing a mental health therapist that specializes in working with athletes, you get the benefit of support in your sport mm-hmm. and the support of every other thing in your life. So, mm. you know, if, if you're having a relationship 
conversation that you're not so sure about. If you're, Mm -hmm. you know, having family things that are going on and who doesn't have family things that are going on. A therapist provides you with an objective perspective, number Mm -hmm. one. Number two, going to therapy will teach you how to cope and manage with things that come into your life. And number three, you will learn how to problem solve. Now, I could go on and on, but I don't right. think Bree wants me to go that far. Well, and we want to give a teaser, so they'll actually yes. read the blog post. So we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely go. post yes. that in the show notes, Okay, too. <laughs> perfect. But, but for sure, you know, so it's, it's, it's not about, you know, um, I, I, I no longer am on my team or I can no longer perform or compete um, now I have to see a therapist. Do see a therapist if that has happened, but mm-hmm. please come see a therapist when you're in, in your prime, right. when you're beginning to start, because mm-hmm. there are a ton of things. And the biggest thing that you will, you will find that therapy provides is support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, a lot of athletes that come to see me, you know, they're just like, you know, I, I don't know what you do. I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, and I'm, not making this up by the by the second or third session they've realized that they have um picked up someone on their team just for them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that connection for you as an athlete to have someone just for you not a coach not a parent not a trainer not an agent someone just for you Mm -hmm. it is a um it's a significant experience that happens and I often hear Brie you know I, I kind of like this I, I, I kind of like coming and I think I know <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it's a good thing you know yeah, yeah. Um, therapy provides um, support and um, learning about yourself and learning how to deal with others within your life that um, very few um, other situations can provide. Working out is is therapeutic. I say it all the time. Mm-hmm. Competing is very therapeutic. It, right. it burns off stress. It, it, you know, working out creates the chemicals of pleasure in your brain. Right. We want right. that. Right. But there's another piece that a therapist can really provide when you sit down with someone. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been amazing. <laughs> so excited. So this is the little fun part of the, the of the show where we just kind of ask some random questions just to kind of get okay. to know you a little better. I know, I know. I'm <gasps> they're 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 not bad though. Okay. Um, okay. So when you are not working, what do you do for fun? Oh my God. I, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I no! watch sports. I watch sports. Well that's fun. <laughs> okay. That's fun for you. It is totally fun for me. Um, I watch sports and I spend as much time with my 14-year-old nephew as I can. So on that same vein, if you could sit down and talk to, it doesn't even have to be in the the sort of client um, relationship, but just, you know, have dinner or whatever. Yeah. Any athlete ever in the world, who would that be and why? Can I pick two or... All right. Okay. You're not following the rules. I know. You can pick I know. Two. <laughs> Jackie Robinson. Okay. I would absolutely love to talk to him and mm-hmm. eat dinner and just just listen to him. Mm-hmm. And um, Muhammad Ali. Ah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That works. That works. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So if they awarded gold medals at the Olympics for something that you do really well, Ooh. what would you get a gold medal in? 
I'll tell you, I will not hesitate. I will get a gold medal for building a rapport with the people I work with. Building okay. connections, yes. Okay, I like that. I yes, like that. yes. That's a nice one. Um, what's your favorite meal? If you had oh, your last supper, oh my what would God, Bree, don't ask me that. <laughs> Everyone's gonna hear how unhealthy I am. Oh please. <laughs> okay, okay. So if we're talking, you know, like gourmet, then I I, I love a good steak. Okay. I love a good uh, Chicago. Steak. Hello. <laughs> exactly right. You know, I I am no different in that. And then true to being a ch- Chicagoan, you know, pizza. I'm ah. a I'm a pizza girl. Yeah. Okay. Is there so a those, particular type you like? Like I, you know, like we're Chicago is known for deep dish, right? Right, right. But what people don't know, we have some boss thin crust pizza here. Oh, really? See, now you're talking my language. Yes, it is. Really? Uh, it's really good. It's really good. So basically, we eat more thin than deep dish, believe it mm-hmm. or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I love a good thin sausage slice. And we don't even oh. say slice. That's a New York thing. Just give me some pizza on a plate kind of oh, just, just See, I need to understand this so I don't get looked that crazy when I come Ex- to Chicago. And exactly. To don't say slice because we don't, we don't do that. We don't do it like that. <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. okay. So if you owned a sports team Ooh. and the name of the sports team was something that, you know, a word or descriptor that described who you are in one word, what would the name of your team be? Fighter. Ah. The fighters okay. maybe like or it. something like that. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Um, let's see. What's one thing people would be surprised at that you cannot do well or don't know how to do? Um, well, they would be surprised that I'm very uncoordinated and don't play sports well, considering I love sports and I (laughs) talk sports and I, Uh so I'm I'm not very athletic. Um, Mm -hmm. that might Mm -hmm. be surprising. What else? Um, I don't know. That's a hard one, Brie. Um, let's see. What does something else? Oh, I know. I always ask people this. What smell most reminds you of your childhood? Oh, Toll House cookies. Girl, please stop. (laughs) My mom used to, she used to bake those. And for a little bit, she had kind of started like trying to have a little business and selling her cookies. They were so good. So she would, you know, she would have her recipe and do the whole thing. And Mm -hmm. I love chocolate chip cookies to this day because of that. That reminds me of my childhood for sure. Oh. Yeah, chocolate chip, warm, gooey cookies. Look, speaking of staying in the weight class, I know. I'm trying my best, and you are not helping here. I know. Everybody's hearing how unhealthy I am. Food is meant to be enjoyed. I know. I know. It's it's fine. It is. Um, What would the title of your autobiography be? Oh, something like. Um, creating your own lane. She created her own lane oh, or like trendsetter it. or something like that. Look, are there any publishers listening? Right. Because of, uh, I feel a book. I feel a book coming on. <laughs> okay. Shoot. Yeah, something like that for sure. That's awesome. And so my final question is, mm-hmm. um, like I said, either we are going to hear this right at the end of the year or right at okay. the top of the new year. Okay. What is your word for 2019? Like, what is one word that encompasses whatever your goals or what you want to see or who you want to be or where you're going? So if I had to just give one word, it's focus. Mm. Focus. 
you know, and if, if Brie allows me two words, it's determination. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. You know, you know, you know, I'm a therapist. You know, we just keep going on and you on. You are a rogue. Listen. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is so funny. Um, do you have any upcoming projects or events or anything you want to tell folks about? I do. Um, we're, I have an organization. Um, it's called the One in Four Project. Um, mm-hmm. The One in Four Project, the name comes from the statistic that one in four people in any given year will suffer from a mental illness. Oh, wow. And wow. so um, we took that name because we want to embrace that. It's very common. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not a rare thing. Okay. So um, the One in Four Project, we are going to have here in Chicago in June a mm-hmm. student athlete expo. And we are very excited about this. This is the first kind of event ever that I'm Mm -hmm. aware of. And so high school and college athletes can come to one location and get information around nutrition, injuries, mental health, tutoring, ACT prep, um, recruitment, all kinds of things. Like anything that an athlete needs to know that is a student, Mm -hmm. we're going to have it provided in this one place. And in addition to the exhibitors... We're also going to have breakout um, trainings and workshops. And so so it's going to be um, a very um, rich event where Mm -hmm. you can walk away with with, uh, understanding services that are out here, products, support. Mm -hmm. You'll be able to get some very good information on the things that are important to student athletes and their parents. And um, so we're working on that right now, um, but that will be in June of 2019. Awesome. And I'm hoping you'll send me some information on that so I can share it with our listeners. I will. Yes, please. Thank you. And then finally, where can people find you on the internet, off the internet? Um, Where where can we find you? Okay. I'm pretty much everywhere. Let's start with my website, guys. You can reach me at nataliegraves.com. That's my Mm -hmm. website. Um, I have some quizzes on there. If you think you're struggling with anxiety or different things, take the quizzes. Um, I'm on Facebook. All you have to do is type in Natalie Graves or Natalie the Social Worker. I'll pop up. Mm-hmm. I'm on Twitter, Natalie underscore Graves one. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I'm on Instagram, Natalie the Sports Counselor. I think it is. Okay. And then if you want to email me, you want to email me directly. You can reach me at socialwork and a n d sports at gmail.com. You are awesome and amazing. <laughs> this has been so much fun. Um, I mean, you are you are really making a difference in the world. And I know that our listeners, somebody's going to get something out of this, if not, you know, everybody who listens. So I just want to thank you again for taking the time out to talk to me and share with us some some things that we can be doing to just be our best selves. And I just thank you, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Bree, it has been an absolute pre- pleasure for you to have me on. This has been a blast. Thank you so much. I'm I'm honored to be on here today. Thank you. And like I said, you are no longer a guest now. Okay. So I will expect you to call me like, I got some stuff to talk about. Okay. I'm like, okay, girl, I, we'll be going to talk. I will do that. So I will, we will do that. We will definitely have some episodes, but thank you again. Thank you to all my listeners. I really appreciate the love and support. Um, you can find us on Instagram at the Chocolate Bar Podcast. You can find us on Facebook that feeds from the Instagram. The actual podcast lives at SoundCloud 
and iTunes. So just type in the chocolate bar and we will pop up. Um, we have a website, www.thechocolatebarpodcast.com. Um, there's blog articles, um, merchandise sometimes, depends on what's happening in my life, all kinds of good stuff. So you can find us there. Uh, we are also on Twitter at the chocolate pod. Um, thank you again. Love you. We will see you at the bar. This is Bree signing out.